hit the wall and Latifi hitting the wall too. The guy just fully squeezed me into the wall, guys. I don't know what is he doing. It's going to be maximum points for Sergio Perez, who on the streets of Singapore wins the 2022 Singapore Grand Prix. Vamos, Checo. Unbelievable. What a drive. This is how we do it, man. We shut our mouth and we work hard. This is the Mexican way. Well done, guys. Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. We are back and this time we are reviewing the F1 Singapore Grand Prix. Yes, that's right, Singapore. We are back at the original F1 night race and it feels very good. And I am joined, as always, by my brilliant co-host, Jesse Billington. How are you this evening? Yeah, not doing too bad. Um, as always, we're recording Monday night after the Grand Prix, so uh, had a fairly hectic weekend and... Uh, just about tidied up all the bits and pieces I've had lying around. I think I've got a flat cap floating around here somewhere from a day spent driving a 1929 Riley at uh, Shuttleworth. So all good fun on my half. Like you needed the excuse to wear that cap. Ellie May is also with us. How are you this evening? I'm actually feeling a bit ill. But you know. That's not great. No, but we, you know, we still turn up. We're here. Jesse looking more and more like a... a... <laughs> I want to say classic Channel 4 horse commentator. He knows exactly which one I mean. I know which one you mean, but I couldn't think of the name for it, but yeah. Anyway, because we don't get to see that visual, sadly, on this podcast, I will introduce our guest, which is Ellie Thompson. How are you? I'm not bad. I'm good. I'm tired. I'm a bit um, still up a height after, after the race because it was, there was quite a bit of excitement. Maybe so, more so beforehand than during the actual race. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> who doesn't love a bit of rain? To spice things up. But, yeah, I'm not bad. I, I'm I, th- I think at this point the F1 fans maybe will get a bit sick of it slowly because it's yeah. raining in all the wrong ways. Yeah, maybe I should, maybe, yeah, maybe I should take that question back. <laughs> anyway, before we, get down, we slip down that particular slope, we will get into what the hell has happened. And uh, first bit of vaguely race-related news. The shocking, I say shocking in incredibly sarcastic connotations there, news that Joe Guan Yu is going to stay at Alfa Romeo for 2023. Alfa Romeo have been impressed by his commitment and attitude as well as his race crashed across the season so far. And he's got a good relationship with Bottas, which helped play into the deciding factor. And I think it's a pretty good decision from them. Consistency, as always, is key. And uh, I feel... and. Much of the team as well feel that he probably could have scored a bit more than he has done this year, but not through any fault of his own. Silverstone in particular is the obvious race that everyone will think of there. And I think he's kind of surprised everyone in a very positive way that he's done a lot better than where we thought he might do, especially after where he finished in F2 last year. But I think that gets the Undercut podcast tick of approval there. Yeah, it certainly does. P3 and F2 doesn't really sort of line you up for a hugely sort of competitive year in Formula one, I mean, we think about the last person who came from F, uh, from F two in a relatively lowish position. Uh, look at their track record; it wasn't exactly a stellar one to look back on. But uh, yeah, Zhou Guanyu doing a pretty good job, and uh, we'll be look- looking forward to seeing more of him next year. Actually, he's proven to really get on with the car, helped sort of work with Alfa Romeo, and developed a relatively competent chassis. And again, he's he gets on well with Bottas, and yeah, he's gelled well with the team. So. Yeah, good you old. just know that my prediction for next year, because we have China back on the calendar, is that he wins the Chinese Grand Prix. That's What that's doing is giving away something that will be coming up in our Japan preview episode, uh, but yes. Ellie May, though, McLaren have a new livery. Tell us everything. Yes, in celebration... Well, it's in celebration of return to racing on the Asian continent, so I assume they're just excluding the Middle East from that bit, and just yes. every other like other parts of asia asia asia, asia. yeah yeah um it's in collab- trouble for that <laughs> it's in collaboration with crypto exchange company i think it's just okx I, d- I, I don't know whether it's said any differently uh they've designed a special livery basically for singapore and japan it's named future mode which is essentially adding just some sort of neon pink bits to their car and this is a quote. It says it's to represent the emergence of the new technologies from the region with a look to the further inspired by the cityscapes of Singapore and Japan. You know, it's funny you use those exact words because those are exact words I first thought when I saw that livery and it's spooky. I saw it and thought, oh, they've added some more black to it. 
I saw it and I, I was like, that pink is beautiful. So It does look nice. It's not a terrible livery. I mean, it's not the best special livery we've had over the past few years, but it's it's decent. It's also worth noting, which we'll get into later, unlike other special liveries for other teams in literally any race, it actually did give them some good luck. It broke the special livery curse. I hadn't even noticed that. And just no, I just noticed that there. And down a similar line, Aston Martin's mechanics were wearing special white overalls as well, and they didn't seem to... I was wondering to... about that. I wasn't sure if they'd just lost people and just hired some Avatari bots. No, they'd gone on a really hot wash. No, they were um, special Peroni 0% um, live overalls to promote the beer in Singapore, and they also didn't get hit by the curse of the special livery, so what a weird weekend. You also wouldn't think sure. that pink and orange would go that well together, but they do. This is what I thought. This is <laughs> so this was my exact thinking because, like, at first when you think about it, you think orange and blue. You don't mm. think those colours are going to look any good together, but McLaren can actually pull it off, and it looks really good. So when they added the pink, I don't know if it's because there's also the black as well, and it's not like pink everywhere. It's just like you know, like a little bit of pink. But yeah, it looks really nice. It would have just been um, nicer if uh, I don't know how uh, this might. A lot of people might not agree with this, but this is just because I I, I think the pink and, and the black and the orange looks really nice. The um, the helmets they could have really went to town with the helmets because Joe's helmet, the really nice pink one with all the little the like cartoon drawings. Yeah. I think that is so nice. And McLaren, uh, both Lando, Lando and Daniel could have done something there. But Lando did have his is... special helmet. He had his um, Master Chief yeah, one did. from Halo. But... but yeah, It's not quite the same, though, is it? <laughs> not really. And so this is would, the bit you I'm can use for the teaser for the episode, Jesse, where F1 goes fashion. Yeah. <laughs> F1 Nation Week? I don't, know, I don't know. I don't think it works. Do your bit of news. <laughs> Just move on. <laughs> we'll move on. Um... Dietrich Mateschitz, uh, the Red Bull owner, the chap who owns Red Bull in its entirety, is rather ill at the moment. Uh, there's all sorts of news reports circulating across the weekend, some wires are crossed, but as far as we're aware, and at the moment, he is uh, not in very good health. So we do wish him all the best and hope he recovers and gets well soon, as he has been a bit of a driving force, really, in reshaping the way we see F1 in the modern era, obviously, when he sort of Salber first teamed up with Red Bull back in 2001, was it when we first saw Red Bull on the grid? And the very sort of huge impact that the team has had on the sport since then. So, yeah, a big name, but one that tends to float around very much in the background. So all the best to him. And it wouldn't be an episode of the Undercut podcast if I didn't moan about something. And to be fair, this year F1 does give me plenty to moan about, so it's not like it's too much effort on my part. F1 is apparently looking to improve the show by allowing DRS from lap one and immediately on restarts. They also want more safety cars than virtual safety cars, which we'll get onto a bit more of that later, considering what was happening this weekend. And they want a second qualifying, potentially on a sprint weekend. None of this is official, but it's all coming out of reliable-ish sources that have been proven to be right before, after various meetings were held by the FIA and Liberty. And I just don't like any of that, to be perfectly honest. DRS from lap one shows that your regulations haven't really worked if you need it immediately, because then what is the point in having the cars that'll get even closer if they can't overtake, so you need DRS immediately. More safety cars than virtual safety cars is stupid, and I think is just self-explanatory. And second qualifying on sprint weekend, are they trying to do this deliberately, specifically to me, to wind me up at this point? It feels like it. Because, I mean, again, Ellie, you may not have heard all my various rantings before on this podcast, <laughs> but I'm not a big fan of the sprint weekend. And neither are Jesse, no, and I mean, they may to be fair, but I feel like I hate it with a passion. Neither You're very welcome I. here. No, I, I'm not. And six races next year. Six, six sprint races next year. On top of 24 races already. It's a. Uh, it's not nice. Well, we say 24, but by the look on Jesse's face, I don't know if he's kind of implying there that it might not be. No, no, we're supposed to have 24. Obviously, there's still a question mark around China whether or not they get their COVID protocols straight. But I think the sprint could be improved with its own qualifying. 
Because then at least if you just want to watch regular F1, you can watch the qualifying that relates to it, the race itself, and then call it a day. You don't have to then, the sprint no longer affects it as such. It affects the overall standings in the championship, but it doesn't affect the big Grand Prix, which I think yes, is Jesse, a good thing. We all thing. know we're going to watch it. That is the problem. This is, uh, that's what I was yeah, going to say. I prob- I yeah, regardless of that, but I'm just... Imagine I don't know if I'm trying to make excuses Japan, for something I hate. I will be up at midnight to watch this nonsense. Yes. I will not get any sleep. <laughs> For a whole weekend. This is true. And then you have to deal with me on a Monday evening having no sleep for a podcast. And if this is you what you're like with that, sleep, if this Do you is want what, to deal with that? If this is what you're like with sleep, I don't know why I want that. I don't know why I'm trying to make excuses for the sprint either. I'm not a fan of it. But I don't know. It it seems like they're trying to rectify a problem that they could just simply remove the problem instead of having to try and fix the problem it, in the first place. See, it was very qualifying 2016 where they tried it, it didn't work, and they they've gone back and looked and I thought. That's a great idea. Let's ruin it some more for no good reason. The thing is with the sprint, I think, and I, I saw this a lot on, on Twitter and socials when it was announced that they were going to have six sprint races next year, is a lot of fans were saying, why aren't they listening to the fans? Because, you know, trialing it is all well and good. Like, you know, if you want to try something new, try something new, because then if it works, it works. And if you didn't try it, you're not going to know that it's worked. And then it comes down to that. But then... Fans have expressed that, you know, it's not it's not the greatest. And after last year's championship as well, I think a lot of people kind of argued that if the sprint didn't exist with the point system, then the championship would have ended differently. And, you know, there's all of that discussion as well. So, yeah, I think um, I understand, you know, F1 is a sport and it's a business and cash is king, as we all know. But at the same time, the fans also make F1 in a way. You know, if you don't have any fans, then... There's no cash to be king of. That's the other side of it. If you literally drive away your fans from it to something which is a bit more followable than the sort of chaos that F1 predicts it might become to, say, watch IndyCar, all of a sudden F1... Which I would just say there, if you're looking for something new and F1's annoying you, try Nitro RX. I have a nice podcast and it's also very entertaining. Or pick up an issue of Classic Car Weekly. I don't mind. (laughs) But going Um, back to that, sorry, just briefly... um, I mean, I said it the other day, and pardon the pun, but why ruin a good formula that you've got? No one was saying, we don't like the format of Formula One. Let's change it. It needs a sprint race. No one said that. So why are we trying to change the makeup of Formula One when it was already a good formula? It is basically saying, I know what the Mona Lisa needs, a moustache. Let's do that. That's a good idea. And then they genuinely didn't realise everyone was joking. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. And it sort of almost harks back to the Bernie Eccleston era of let's just have sprinklers on track and turn them on randomly. And you're sort of thinking... That's a better idea than half of this stuff. Yeah, this is the same guy that also brought in double points for the final round of the season, which threw everything yes, but into... When it didn't when it wasn't popular, he got rid of it straight away. This is true. Bernie didn't listen Bernie to the listened. people. As, yeah. as controversial as the little man is, he did kind of know what he was doing and he did it for quite a while quite successfully whereas Liberty in less than a decade appeared to be uh... ruining it he was yeah Bernie was in that instance at least a benevolent dictator I don't know why you know when you said how Bernie just wanted to randomly put sprinklers like in the middle of a race or whatever it reminds me of you know when you get to is it like the second to last or the final episode of I'm a celebrity when they just have like and they do like the cyclone thing (laughs) and they just suddenly get all those like balls and throw them at all the I think uh, that's how they should have decided the championship last year not one lap instead of sprint races maybe we need like that's how you determine qualifying positions. Celebrity cyclone. Or everyone used to say on Twitter as well, which I thought was quite funny, everyone used to say, um, actually get the F1 drivers to do an actual, like, sprint. Like, running. Well, that's what I was thinking. That would, Introduce a Le Mans start. Yeah. Le Mans-style start. You have to run across the track, get into your car, and then drive off. It works brilliantly. They With do the it. laptop on the side, boot it up quickly. Yeah, you still yeah. have a race engineer there, re- ready to hit the return key to start the car up or something. Or it just has to. You have to build your car so it can sit there and idle. So you can literally run, jump in, do your belts up quickly, or you have an engineer there to start the car and do the belts for you. Then off you go. I think that'd be a lot more exciting. It also harks back to tradition as opposed to making it a pantomime, which I think is a bit more acceptable to the sort of viewing audience. 
Pantomime is about the best thing I can use for a segue here in terms of... We were entertained by this race in one way or another. And you get that in theatrics and just work with me here on the segue. And we're going to go into winners and spinners. So I'm going to throw it down to you, Eddie May. Who is your winner for this weekend? My winners were Aston Martin. Uh, what, Lance Stroll was sixth, Vettel was eighth, and it now puts them in seventh in the championship. And I think it harks back to when, was it the Dutch review? Where I said, I think actually Aston Martin are doing better than we all think they are. Because although it doesn't look it in terms of points, because I think at the time, like Haas and Alfa Romeo did so well at the start that they had these big haul of points when Aston Martin weren't that great. And then now Aston Martin is sort of slowly getting those points week by week. And I think they are now better than Haas and Alfa Romeo, maybe even Alfa Tauri. I think my, it just... my devil's advocate for that will just be, are they just doing the bare minimum not to survive, whereas other teams just dropping the ball big time? I would say no, because everyone's trying to always improve, aren't they? And it seems like Aston Martin are when they they weren't obviously they weren't at the start, and they've they've taken the right direction, whether that's within the cost limit and all that sort of stuff. We will <laughs> we will find out soon, but. I think they are taking, like, even if it's small steps, if you're taking steps in the right direction, then you're improving and you are going to, like, it's inevitably going to help you. So. Yeah. You're not going to like my predictions for Japan. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I think the Aston Martin thing is sort of this idea that potentially the two alphas, Tauri and Romeo, blew their wad pretty early on. And sort of Aston Martin have metered it out a bit more. There has been this sort of slow accumulation of points pretty steady on. It's not been as sort of steady as potentially they'd have liked. It's been quite stop-startish if in reality. And I've got the sort of big graph I used to do, the Constructors Countdown, that shows it. But they, they have seen a big leap forward this weekend. It does help that a few drivers ahead of them did have major problems which pulled both their drivers into the top ten. But... Yeah, what I will say about that though, I mean, Stroll was always sort of in the back of like more like P twelve, P eleven, I think. But Vettel was always in the points, and I think he was always going to get points, no matter if you know. Um, I can't quite remember where Ocon was. I know Fernando, I think, was in front of him because Ocon didn't have that great a qualifying session, did he? I think so when he, he retired, was... he was about twelfth or thirteenth. Yeah, so. Vettel would have got points anyway because he was already kind of there. I don't really... And Singapore is his place. It is his That's place. That's what I was going to say. And he did very Sorry. well fighting <laughs> the other two champions of Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. It's just that he doesn't have a car to quite compare to Max Verstappen to keep him at bay. Mm-hmm. It's the first Singapore Grand Prix we've had in, ooh, I want to say, 12 years or something that hasn't had Lewis Hamilton or Sebastian Vettel on the podium either. Two things I will say about that, actually, as we're bringing out statistics. It's the first time, which will be a segue to you in a second, Jesse, where a, or a driver that doesn't have a world championship to his name has won the Singapore Grand Prix. And it's also the first time in Stroll's entire career that he's made it out of Q1 in Singapore. Ooh. I like that second one. It's not very good if you're Lance Stroll, but it's a fun statistic. A lot of things aren't if you're Lance Stroll and F1, to be fair. Yeah, they're not strong statistics to have. But anyway, uh, your first point, though, it does lead quite nicely onto my winner from the weekend, which is Sergio Perez. And yeah, a bit of a return to form for Sergio. Nice to see him sort of get back, get his feet back around the table and really make a show of things. And it helps you had that really strong start off the line. And then from there, for him, it was just a race of sort of keeping those tyres absolutely in the window allowed him to properly overcut Charles Leclerc by a fair distance as well. He had a couple of laps on him before he eventually came into pit. Fry were going to try and do the opposite to Red Bull and it worked. It kept them in the race, but again, the problem was they're fighting a far superior machine, which is that Red Bull this year. And yeah, 
Perez was the, just the, the harsh part to me there wanted me to say they'll do the opposite of Red Bull so we won't win we won't win but yeah it's uh, it was a good drive from Perez I think all in and as much as he had a very good machine under him he had a very good head on his shoulders to keep it together especially when you've got Charles Leclerc fighting for his championship both of them actually fighting for the championship this year as well alongside against Max to keep a sort of pretty calm and steady head when you've got Charles Leclerc pushing you that hard for best part of three quarters of that race he was properly on him and being able to pull out that much of a gap when your engineer says we're going to need a gap of at least five seconds and you just go and say is seven enough that's that's pretty worldy that's a bit of a worldy so we, we've, we've had that from drivers like lewis and max before games like how much do we need this much okay i'll go do that it's like yeah okay you're on a bit of a different level than even if it's just for one weekend but I'm also quite glad Perez did do as well as he did because it very much, as much as it ruined all of my predictions, it very much backed up what Valentino and I were saying on the preview episode when we were touting, mainly Valentino, say, touting all of the reasons Perez was going to do well this weekend. So I'm glad we actually had some some analysis that was correct and accurate for a prediction. Yeah, Even he has then make that prediction. <laughs> He does like a street circuit as Perez and this sort of rather proved it again, slightly sort of tricky conditions, ones where his slightly sort of more senior years over some of the rest of the field, he is a slightly older driver on the grid, have really sort of lent into that one and given him a bit more of an advantage, that sort of clear ahead of knowing exactly how to keep tyres in the right temperature, the right traction zone. Yeah, it's it was just his so, weekend. Saudi Arabia is now the only street circuit on the current calendar he hasn't won yeah. at some point in his F1 career. Are we counting... Uh, I don't, should we count? He won Baku last year. He won Monaco this year. He won Singapore this year. Miami is a car park, so I don't count. I was going to go. If Miami is a car park, do we not throw Sochi under the same thing? But he has at least podiumed in Sochi, so that's, that's an Olympic park. Yeah, it's still a park as opposed to a racetrack. I don't know. Anyway, it's um, not a street circuit. Anyway, Ellie, who is your winner for this weekend? Uh, McLaren, definitely, hundred percent. I think, especially. Um, Daniel as well, seeing him back in the top five. He said it in his post-race interview the last time he f- finished in the top five. Was it Saudi last year? I feel like that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. I Which I, I had to remember right. that it wasn't at the start of that season. Like, no, yeah. it can't be. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. no, it was at the end. It was at the um, end. But, yeah, I think seeing both the McLarens, you know, they've kind of had a bit of an up and down year. They've had some good results and then some kind of poor results. Um so I think seeing them back in the top five and Daniel as well after everything that he's kind of been through um, and, and you know, cutting his contract short and, and everything and a poor run of results for him. I think seeing him uh, perform like that at Singapore was amazing and, and, and as well seeing Lando in, in the top four. And now because of um, Alpine's double retirement, they're ahead of him in the championship, which again is, uh, we love to see it, don't you? So yeah, I think McLaren, definitely. And if I had to pick one in particular, Lando or Daniel, I would say Daniel. Correct. Just because he's had, you know, kind of a poor season. Yeah. He deserves it. And he went up from like. Did he go up from like. Was it P17? Yeah. He had it. He had it. Yeah. He had a bit of a poor qualifying. So to finish P5, I think. Bang up job, lovely stuff, that's all we want. I've gone a slightly different route because I was going to have Ricardo, but I've been polite on two podcasts now and I really were going to get um, and, and despite not finishing the race, I'm going to go with Alex Albon just because a couple of weeks ago he was on a ventilator in a hospital and this week he was back in the Singapore Grand Prix racing his, his little heart out and doing a fairly decent job of it until then and it wasn't... And say I can't remember what caused the damage because there was so much going on, but I don't think it was anything obscenely his fault. It was just Singapore being Singapore. So, and again, has he even been to Singapore before? I'm trying to think. Yeah, he did. He was in 2019. Uh, okay, yeah, once. But again, quite a year out of F1 and everything. On top of that, and Singapore isn't somewhere you can just jump back in and get immediately, especially in tricky conditions. So I think... In a race where you just kind of had to survive to get points, he could, if anyone could have done that, it could have been him, especially in that Williams. With We know what he can get out of it. It's just a bit of bad luck came his way, but I think hats off to him for being able to, to just jump back in. Again, if you just watch a Grand Prix 
and you watch nothing else and you don't have nothing else to do with F1, you wouldn't know that he had been out of it for, for a while there. So, again, a little, little round of applause for him there. Yeah, if you look at like his results pattern, you would look at that and go, okay, that's pretty fitting of his season, ignoring the fact that perhaps a few weeks prior he was in ICU. So He, t- he turned into a little Dutchman for Italy and then went into hospital. You, apart from those little anomalies, you wouldn't notice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he did all right, to be fair. Some people who didn't do quite as well are our spinners. So uh, we'll start with Ellie, and uh, we'll go for your spinner, please. George, only because... I mean, I know this wasn't his... Well, I don't know, was it his decision? Was it not? This might be... Well, I say this might be... We don't know if it's a, um, a Charles and Ferrari situation where Charles is now his own strategist as well. Obviously, I don't know if kind of the discussion was there and George was like, yeah, let's try slicks or whatever. Um, and I know eventually it, it did kind of work, as you would expect, you know, as the track was drying up and, and more people were starting to change to slicks. But I think it might have been just a little bit too early to make that change. And... Obviously, I don't know where did he actually finish. It, it was. Last. It wasn't last. Yeah. Was it? Was is that dead last as well? Yeah. 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 He was so, two I mean, laps down on the uh, lead field. Yeah. Even Mick Schumacher was only one lap down, so it's almost like so, he was back in a Williams. <laughs> exactly. You wouldn't expect that from someone in a Mercedes. Um, so I just think that decision of of pitting him then for slicks, if it waited a bit longer, then maybe he would have finished a bit higher. Because I expected him. Of Canada qualifying, but in a race. And I was like, no, yeah. no, that's not what you want to do. I did expect him to go back in after a couple of laps, figuring out that like the slicks weren't working, but he stayed out. So whether that was the right decision or not, I don't know. But I yeah. think on Team Radio, he was saying kind of the essence of we're already losing, we might as well. It's what's the worst yeah. that can happen? I'm last. Oh, look, I'm already last. So, <laughs> which in that point, fair enough. If you if you if it's his decision and Mercedes are kind of in their own no man's land at the moment, it's just kind of third is theirs and it's Ferrari's is it's their second place to lose essentially. So if Mercedes do make a couple of mistakes, it's only it's not going to really impact too much in the grand scheme of things. And equally, oh, just trying to swallow back a yawn there. Um, and equally with George. It was a case of if they left him out on the slicks, it gave Mercedes chance to look at some data coming in, look at early stage tyre degradation, something they could use to try and at least support Lewis's rest of his race. While there was very little of George's race left to recover, they could at least use him to produce some decent data sort of through the session to help Lewis and uh, for as little yeah. as it did in the end. But it was sort of a valuable data collecting session for them at the time. So there was some logic to what they did, but in the end, it it wasn't going to be his weekend. He had struggled through qualifying and just hadn't quite got to grips with the car. And and, and it is a shame as well. Saying, sure. like, obviously, George has done so well this season, like, moving into Mercedes. Everyone was kind of like, obviously, when he was announced, it was so exciting and, and it was just like, because he deserved it and we all kind of knew that it was coming. So, I mean, everyone has bad weekends in F1, right? So, I mean, maybe this was just one of his... So with ones. the exception of Silverstone, where obviously DNF'd every race, he's yeah. finished in the top five. So it's you can't exactly, exactly. be too harsh on him this year in terms yeah, of oh, exactly. he had a bad race. Look at Max, he's been more consistent than Max if we look at it from yeah, that yeah, perspective. Yeah. So my little my little dig. Go on. I mean, it's not, it's not a dig, but it's like you know when he said that in Imola last year that Valtteri shouldn't have been fighting for P ten and fighting so hard, and then he had a go for Schumacher defending P13. Well, Russell, you shouldn't have been in P14. Yeah, he did. Eddie May has been waiting so long for that one. The Undercut Podcast resident George Russell fan there. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he did make that fun comment about Mick Schumacher. He's like, oh, Schumacher's defending like his life depends on it. It's like... Uh, his seat does rather depend on it. It was it was I the crikey. Yeah, it was the crikey that got me. Only George Russell could try and ins- insult you and follow it up with a crikey in sort of very much a George Russell way. It's, it's very British, isn't the polite. it? Yeah, it's like, he's the only person. I mean, yeah, he's the only person who would come out with something like that. He does one thing for Kingsman with Williams one time, and look what happens. Manners maketh man. Interestingly though, Jesse, you had Perez as your winner, but your spinner is also 
Red Bull? Yes, and this falls more down to qualifying and Max Verstappen, because the reason we didn't see Max Verstappen lock out the front row a second and a half, or at least what he said at one point was 3.2 seconds ahead of Leclerc in his final flying lap, was because Red Bull made a mistake, and a fairly simple mistake that you wouldn't have expected them to make. They sort of hedged their bets a little too far this time, and they didn't fuel up enough for the final Q3 session. They didn't think it was going to run on as long as it did. As a result, they spent too much time with the engine running, just used up all the petrol they had in it, and obviously said, look, we're just going to have to bank on P8 because there's no point in us getting disqualified from qualifying and having to start from P20 or the pit lane. We might as well at least just settle for P8 because what they did was ran to the point that they only had that one litre left that they could have had to submit to the FIA for sort of tech inspection. And if they didn't, well, weren't able to produce that one litre, as we saw with Sebastian Vettel in Hungary last year, they'd been disqualified from that session, which would have seen them drop to P20 and or the pit lane. Funny you mentioned Hungary, because, again, correct me if I'm wrong, if we've seen it since then, but I just find it interesting that in the same week that those two teams are potentially in some trouble, or at least rumoured to be, it is the last reference point we have for someone not... Uh, having enough fuel in their car and then getting penalised accordingly and then Red Bull then finished that as a nice pairing there to to further solidify their relationship in, in not good decision making. Yeah, funny parallel to that one. But uh, yeah, it was, it was just a, a strange cock up from Red Bull to make and not one you'd expect of a team that seems to have thus to this point the series have been absolutely dominating and running away with things. So yeah, for, for that they get a they get a chastising from me and uh, demoted to my spinners. Maybe they hired some Ferrari strategists. Hannah Schmidt's flight was delayed. They just had to borrow someone from the Scuderia. That's what we'll call it. Maybe she's just on holiday. Yeah. Yeah. That's how integral she is to the team. She she doesn't attend. She wanted a race. They said no, so she left for a race weekend and look what happened. (laughs) As for myself, I've gone for Alpine because, well, double DNF. I knew as soon as the team radio came on for Alonso. 353, let's make it memorable. Well, that's him fucked then. I said that, Uh, yeah. And sure enough, it's exactly what happened. And both of them were engine failures, if I'm correct in saying that. They looked like turbo failures as well. Not good for one car, really not good for both cars. And especially when you're fighting for McLaren for fourth place in the championship. And if that's going to need... Um, replacing or they're going to need some new parts that that is going to be a potentially tricky Japanese Grand Prix for them and that's a good reminder for me to change my fantasy team accordingly not that that'll make any bloody difference at this point Um, but yeah not a good weekend for Alpine at all so and again parallels to to Jesse Spinner from W Series as well there's uh, Alpine just not great overall for this weekend so yeah, on Alpine potentially having to take engine, if don't know if they'll take engine parts or a new engine entirely, or sort of power unit. It's going to be interesting to see what they, what sort of a grid drop they have, whether they end up with pit lane starts, whether it's a ten place grid drop, five places, because obviously Latifi was handed a five place grid drop, was it? I think for his contact yeah. with Guan Zhou, which was very Latifi-ish and also yes. his fault which we'll come back to uh, shortly. But yeah, so obviously we've already got um, potentially three drivers there with different grid positions to what they might achieve in qualifying. So we might be having an... Oh, you've raised a finger there, Timo. I'm just saying, yes, three drivers with penalties potentially, but also it'll only make a difference for two of them. Yeah. Uh, Don't count Latifi out of Q3 in uh, Suzuka later this week just yet. He can get to Q3, but he'll still start at the back. Is he a back of the grid? He'll find a way. He'll, the start race, he'll just go backwards. He'll accidentally engage find reverse. reverse. Yeah. Um, what I will say is, hopefully... that No, this is Alpine. <laughs> but Singapore wasn't a very high sort of engine-powered track as such because of such the high downforce. So maybe they put an old engine in. So hopefully that just meant that it was at the end of its life and they were keeping more power sensitive. They were keeping their engine for better engines for their more power sensitive tracks. Is what that I'm is, kind yeah, of That hoping. is some big brain thinking from Ellie May there. 
I like it. Didn't work out for them too well though, because they still lost a heck of a ton of points. Yeah. Yeah. But it does mean that when we get to Suzuka, which is now becoming more and more power hungry as the cars have more and more downforce, Austin especially, if they've got a quicker engine than the McLarens, could be interesting. Talking of interesting, Jesse? It's time for our Constructors Countdown. Actually, I haven't said my spinner. <laughs> okay, it's, oh, not, time. it's <laughs> not time for our Constructors <laughs> Countdown. It's time for Ellie Mae's spinner. Thanks for forgetting me, guys. Um, you chimed in so much, we just sort of assumed you'd said it. <laughs> well, we kind of did, because Ellie said Russell. I've gone for Mercedes, so I'll just you know skip over the Russell bit and just maybe talk a little bit about Hamilton. He had a really good qualifying. He was really up there, and it just he just didn't really materialize in the race. I mean. He... This is car made out of Nokia's, by the way, because that front end crash I thought was a lot more severe than it actually was. Sort of. Yeah, he had that. He had that crash, which I, he kind of just what slid into the barriers. I guess where he did it so sort of head on compared to the others, it didn't make sort of the front wing stick so much. So it meant that he could just reverse out, carry on, and then obviously had to pit for that new wing um and then when he was fighting Vettel obviously went wide let Verstappen past and it, there was not enough time for then him to sort of get back and finish I ninth. thought it was a very courteous move to allow Vettel to keep that position and to try and help him to get some more points there I thought it was a really selfless act by Lewis there and something you'd only expect from drivers his caliber he said you know it's your last race not your last race your last mm-hmm. season have some points on me. Yeah. <laughs> I think with the front wing thing, he got lucky because the way the tech pros laid out is you sort of have rows and then you have these little sort of sort of struts that come out of it out of more tech pro and then another row in front of it. He got lucky and hit it between two of those strut bits. So the tech pro really deflected in and basically sort of cushioned the blow a lot more as opposed to just hitting a solid wall of the stuff, which would have likely sort of seen a bit of a shattered nose cone. But uh, yeah, interesting that he's previously been one to happily complain about people with loose wing end plates and bits coming off their car. Yet as soon as it's happening to him with a slightly broken... You say that for any driver though, really, come on. A slightly broken... They all do it. But he is far more vocal, potentially through sort of TV broadcasting choices as to whose radio they play. But obviously he did it so much with K-Mag in Canada and then basically crippled K-Mag's race by having a meatball flagged so early on. We saw that same again with Kevin this weekend, actually. And then obviously he drives a couple of laps around with a completely sort of flopping left side of his wing. And then eventually someone goes, it's probably a meatball flag for Lewis. Clearly, It was clearly a Black Knight Monty Python situation where it was just a flesh wound, Jesse. Your wings come off. It's just a flesh wound. Exactly. Anyway, now it is time. Is it? Are you, are you finished, Ellie May? I'm. I'm done. You can. You can. You can go on, Jesse. Okay, just checking. It's now time for constructors countdown. Williams are left in the doldrums of tenth place now. Both AlphaTauri and Haas have just 34 points, but the American team leads the Italian outfit P8 over P9 as both drop with Aston Martin leaping forward two places now on 37 points in P7. Alfa Romeo retain P6 but haven't scored points since Zandvoort. The McLaren Alpine battle hots up with the Woking-based unit now four points ahead of the French as they swap places for P4 and P5. Ferrari roll away from Mercedes, practically doubling their lead over the P3 runners, but still ahead by a long shot. Red Bull lead on 576 points. No change in the bottom four for Hulkenberg, Latifi, De Vries and Albon, Joe Sonoda and Schumacher all drop one place as Stroll surges into P15, Magnus and Gasly both suffer a double place drop now down to 14th and 13th respectively. Meanwhile Vettel climbs one place to P12 but on a flyer Danny Rick goes from 14th to P11. The top 10 meanwhile remain unchanged, Science in P5 now just a point behind Russell and Perez two points off of Leclerc in the battle for second place. And for the first time since Austria, Max's lead at the front narrows ever so slightly. So Max Verstappen still leads the championship, but that lead is dwindling. Not by a huge amount, but it's it's dwindling. There's still chance for those behind him. Anyway, we'll move on to something where the lead hasn't changed, but could well do. Our predictions. And uh, after much deliberation, it seems I'm the only person to score this week. So uh, netting four points against everyone else's nil. Uh, I collected my points for a Charles Leclerc pole, a Leclerc P2, a Sainz P3 and no red flags. Which amazingly didn't have actually. Everyone was really annoyed when I said there will be a red flag. So 
unwittingly I changed it in our predictions and said, okay, there'll be no red flags. Smug face for me. And uh, importantly, what this does is shuffles the standings once again. Ellie Mae still leads on 19 points. I'm back under her with 18. Uh, Timo's way off with 16. And the guest as a cumulative has 12. So, thumbs up from me. Yeah, it didn't go well that. Didn't go well there for you. It didn't go well in the fantasy league either, did it, Timo? I, I, oh, I even forgot who I had for one of the drivers. I knew I was going really badly when Alonso and Joe went out, and I was, you know, I was, you know, I was like, fine, it is what it is. I thought I've got Perez on double points. Hopefully, something good can happen there. And then I looked afterwards and I thought, oh my days, I was actually smart. I've got Carlos Sainz in this team as well. Didn't bloody help one iota, and I'm still. Buggered and down the bottom somewhere. Uh, so. Yeah, you he came home. Third. I know, but it didn't translate in the points for my team anyway, as as, um. as much as it should have done. It's still. Yeah, your On The Curbs team came 16th with 131 points. The podcast one came 7th on 212. But crucially, I came 2nd uh, this week with my BRT Yamaha team. Jaffa Cake Racing came 11th, so. Mixed bag results, but overall I do still lead the championship, which is quite good fun. Um, yeah, a uh, good week for my friend. A friend of mine, Dan, as he nets 248 points and uh, comes home as this week's winner. I Like I said, 244 for me. And then there's a bit of a golf back to Jim K's Consult Your GP. Shout out to Megan Maurer, a friend of the podcast, for a decent 227 points in P4 and Georgia's Friends of Facial Hair in P6, just two points ahead of Timo's organised podcast team. Uh, then obviously, like I said, your your personal team not doing very well, despite Perez. Uh, I peaked already. Despite, I peaked. Yeah, just peaked too soon. Anyway, we'll move on from the things that don't technically exist because they're a fantasy to some more newsy bits which do exist. And I'll admit this one isn't entirely F one related news, but it's relatively important. And. Kazakhstan has signed a five-year deal with MotoGP to hold a Grand Prix. Starting in 2023, the Sokol International Racetrack, 35 miles north of Almaty, will host a Grand Prix. Uh, MotoGP signed a memorandum of understanding with the local government in a recent visit to New Delhi and the Bud International Circuit as well. So, looking back at one of the most recent countries to join the F1 calendar... Qatar. It was previously known for its MotoGP race and human rights issues, but that's not what we're really focusing on here. Um, but now F1 is in Qatar, so it's now known for those three things, human rights issues, MotoGP and Formula One. And they race on the same track at points as well, so both can MotoGP and F1 calendars overlap, despite being one FIA, one FIM. But there is still this important crossover that we do see. So could we see MotoGP acting as a canary in the mine for potential new F1 locations on the ever-expanding calendar? Look at some of the excellent tracks and places MotoGP races in. Indonesia, Argentina, the Bugatti circuit at Le Mans. They have four races in Spain alone, all circuits which at many points we've all suggested should replace Catalonia. They have a brilliant calendar, and I appreciate not all the tracks are suitable for F1, favouring the smaller and nimbler bikes, but just think. I'd like a race in Kazakhstan. We'd also like to make a note of the point Eddie May is a little bit crazy. Um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna do you one better though, Eddie May. I'm gonna say instead of that, we'll have a feeder series exclusively in the stands. We go Turkmenistan, we go Kazakhstan, we go the other stands because I've forgotten the other ones. But there's enough of them to make Uzbekistan, sure that Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. There we go. Yes. I'm there's that. five. Is there's um, five stands? Is there not? Yeah. Mm. Five stars. We throw in Azerbaijan as a bonus because it doesn't quite work, but it's cheeky, so we'll allow it. Do, should we be um, allowing Azerbaijan a Grand Prix it, given it's, it's really horrendous? It's a. It's not a stand, and b the fact I that it's currently cheeky, it's currently obliterating Armenia as well. Well, yes, but that's that's where it gets to my next point. We'll go fix the human rights while we're at it. Okay, we'll send W Series there, and they're all tough women, so they'll be able to sort that in no time. If and you, pal, no nonsense. If you do all yeah, this, she'll go along with the. Uh, she does a lot of um, plumbing and that kind of thing. She'll just go along with the wrench and sort it all out and just slam it down on the table. Like, right, we're sorting this. Bosh. If it's all the stands, is that not um, basically sort of the Silk Road? Of so, how they yeah. make silk. So yeah, perhaps you know. 
Silk and F1, they can come together. And... So where were you going with that point there, Ellie? <laughs> I was thinking Dude. silk race suits. Maybe, I don't know. Or at least if you did sort of do, uh, start in Australia, work your way up the Asian sort of coast, basically did Singapore, Malaysia, China, Korea, Japan, then did India, it would then be relatively easy to work your way through the stands and into Azerbaijan and then do Europe if you were to try and make a calendar that involved as little flying as possible. You could. Yeah, but I really... don't think F1 are going to do that. Because they said no. they were going to do that for 2023. So as good as an idea as it might be, let's be real, that is not going to happen. And yeah, I mean, again, another I bring up all these topics that are like discussions for other times, but it's wishful thinking. That is wishful thinking, Jesse. That's what this. I also don't think that we need another <laughs> Grand Prix, especially in a place where. Again, okay, yes, you would kind of make it more global as a calendar, but you'd still be missing most of South America and all of Africa in the process. So I don't think it's... I think, again, maybe it would be one of those things where... If, again, we don't need more races on the calendar, but if we introduce some kind of rotation system for some venues, test it out for a Kazakhstan Grand Prix. I kind of want to see one if we're going to do any stands. I think it's Tajikistan because the guy in charge there is taking some interesting medicines because the capital city there is... He's got some interesting monuments and I think that would be a very interesting backdrop, if nothing else, for, for, for a Formula One street circuit. I mean, I will say if you if you, want to... if you haven't seen any of those, Gavin Google, they are quite bonkers. Yeah, have a He's Google. Got some very fun Guinness World Records for some very bizarre things. Or, moreover, um, look up, there's a chap called Simon Reeve, does loads of really interesting travel shows. One of his earliest ones he did was visiting the stands and basically travelling around there. And they were absolutely bonkers, some of the things he saw. And they all, five of them, sit on my sort of places I want to visit because they look crackers. But I think on a more grounded note, not necessarily Kazakhstan, but potentially sort of the reinvention of Bud International Circuit, if as a circuit it can build up the funds using MotoGP... It might. It would be. It, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next three years we see Bud International put in a bid to host an F one race, whether it's a successful one or not. Different matter, but off the back of MotoGP and some funding. No, I'm. I'm, I'm not. Don't want to interrupt you. There. I'll just say, and it fits with your uh, continuous theme of being known for human rights problems as well. So it fits everything perfectly. Yeah, I. Yeah, this is true. I mean, there are very few countries you can pick these days that have a completely pure human rights um, sort of record. I think depends how far back you go or sort of how regularly you look at it. I mean, you look at like India's constantly at war with its own farming community. You could sort of strike them off the list of potential ones for not being very nice in that regard. But amongst others, it's a it's a tricky one. Get into a political podcast. Now. We won't <laughs> do that now. That's usually something we'll <laughs> save for too late in the day for the group chat. So uh, all that leaves us to do is say thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll be back later on this week with our W Series review as well as a preview of the Japanese Grand Prix which is coming up this weekend or if you're listening to this when I finally release it on Friday morning it's coming up in a few days time so yeah. Tomorrow morning. I won't be releasing it that late. I want to sort of get it out of the way before my birthday weekend starts so I'm not trying to do it while I'm getting hyped for turning 25. For 2025? Just hyped for 25. Hyped for 25 when I turn 25 later this week. Yeah. He did say 2025, by the way. I'm not that old. As much as it might seem that I'm old, I'm not 2025 years old. The beard and the glasses say otherwise, but we'll go along from that for now. Ellie May, where can people find you in the meantime if they want to see more of you? Uh, They can find... Why do I never know every time? I don't know. It's always the same. (laughs) It's always always the same. same. It's on the script. Uh, Let me go down to the script. (laughs) I can be found on the Undercut Podcast Instagram page and running the TikTok account. The amount you rely on the script, we could do like a full-on Anchorman thing and just sort of change it. See, it gets the end well, of the episode, and you just say F- you, San Diego. Well, it does say running our TikTok account, and I almost did say that instead of TikTok. But that's on Timo. He put together all the bare bones of these scripts. So yeah, he forgot to put my name in these as well. So not only did you forget my spinner, you forgot to put me in I mean... the. You're on my this. Name. You're on mine anyway. Yeah, because I put my name and it in says it. TikTok. 
No, I uh, mean... You... No, I mean for the um, winners and spinners, that wasn't my name. I had to put, I think that's I had because to I put Ellie down in. already and I forgot we had two of them on the same podcast for an episode because it's never happened before. So I would admit, rookie mistake there for me. You just forgot about me. That's hard. I'll, I'll pay for that later. Don't worry, people. <laughs> uh, Jesse, where can people find you in the meantime as I run away from this problem? You can find me all the way across the internet on most social medias and YouTube as uh, Jesse on Cars. There's not been a new YouTube video up there since I stopped putting stuff up for the podcast and we moved it to its own channel. But I'm on social media, Twitter and Instagram a hell of a lot, more than I really should be. And uh, if you want physical content from me, you can pick up an issue of Classic Car Weekly. By the time this comes out, you should be able to pick up a new one which features a, an exclusive interview with Richard Hammond I did ahead of the new series of his workshop. It's... Uh, a jolly good read indeed. Ellie, where can people find you in the meantime? So, across uh, all socials, Twitter and Instagram, it is nice and simple and unforgettable. Uh, it's Ellie Does F1. Nice and easy. Perfect. As for myself, you can find me over on On the Curbs, where I have weekly motorsport interviews with people from all across the world of motorsport. We've got the Nitro Eric podcast as well, with a new episode out this week. And I also do some writing for Is It Fast and Paddock Sorority. And obviously Instagram and social... Well, no, actually just Instagram. I don't do all the social media. Too much effort. But that is about it from us on that one. That has been the Singapore Grand Prix Review. As we said earlier, we've got two more episodes out this week, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you.